0: I'm Cameron Harold, the founder of the Second in Command podcast. Really quick, before we jump into today's episode, you need to know about two important ways that we can help you and your company grow. Number one, check out the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP ops, or whoever is your company's second in command to the CEO. The COO Alliance is the world's leading community for the second in command, and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. Head over to COOalliance.com to learn more about our members and the results, the program, and our 10x guarantee. If you qualify for membership, you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if it's right for you. I'll tell you about number two in a bit, but first, let's start this week's episode. I'm Cameron Harold, the founder of the Second in Command podcast. Really quick, before we jump into today's episode, you need to know about two important ways that we can help you and your company grow. Number one, check out the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP Ops, or whoever is your company's second-in-command to the CEO. The COO Alliance is the world's leading community for the second-in-command, and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. Head over to COOalliance.com to learn more about our members and the results, the program, and our 10x guarantee. If you qualify for membership, you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if it's right for you. I'll tell you about number two in a bit, but first let's start this week's episode. The system should be like this.
1: Could help someone basic in this role get through the the day to day, and there's still a little bit of room for interpretation. I'm okay with that, but I also just don't want the person to be lost, like nomad. So the way that I see systems, they should be like a skeleton on how to operate, but it shouldn't be at this point do X and type this way. It's like at that point, no one's going to use them, and when you don't use them, then that's that's worse than
0: All right, everybody. So welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Today, we have Eric Ortiz, the COO of Leveled Concrete as our guest. As Eric swiftly transitioned from sales rep to COO, he will share his valuable insights on scaling up the company using playbooks and systems inspired by Michael Gerber's book, The E-Myth. He learned from the challenges of rapid expansion and now leads the company by analyzing team ROI and output for maximum efficiency. In a world going remote, Leveled Concrete remains a 100% in-office company, a decision that Eric explains during the episode. And as a growth-focused COO, Eric also emphasizes personal development to lead with excellence. He's also a COO Alliance member as part of his growth. Join us as we dive into Eric Ortiz's journey and learn Leveled Concrete's winning strategies. And remember to also check out our YouTube channel for the Second in Command podcast. Without further ado, let's dive in. So Eric, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, looking forward to doing this with you, and looking forward to learning from you as well. Why don't you start us off and, and just kind of give us a bit of a background on Leveled Concrete, what your business does, why it exists, give us some perspective there, and then we'll kind of go into your journey into the COO world as well. Yeah, so Leveled Concrete
1: was started in 2016, And essentially, our CEO, Zachary Zaris had um, his nephew take a spill on his driveway. And he Googled and Googled and he couldn't figure out, hey, my driveway is in pretty good shape, but it's just not leveled. And he ended up kind of stumbling across a company that sold equipment. So he couldn't really find anyone to do it. um, But he found someone that sold equipment to actually lift the concrete up. So instead of just demolishing and replacing like most people do, we actually inject holes and raise the concrete back to level. So, and this is such a good representation of who Zachary is. Instead of doing more research and finding out who could actually provide the service, he just decided to buy the equipment and do it himself. And he spent, he maxed out a credit card. He spent $30,000 on this equipment and said, I'm going to do it myself and I'm just going to start doing it since no one does it. And it turns out he was just Googling the wrong thing. It's called concrete raising. And, um, but ultimately it led to us helping over 4,000 kind of Houston homeowners do the same exact thing he did and get rid of trip hazards, get rid of water. And it's kind of a more eco-friendly option as opposed to, hey, I'm just going to demolish this concrete and start all over because we're using what's there. And um, yeah, so that's, that's us. That's our kind of our origin story.
0: So it seems so perfectly simple, right? Like just giving people a smooth driveway that acts as they expect it would, but it never does. That's really the genesis of the whole business.
1: That's it. Yeah, I mean and that's and we did my driveway 2 2 years ago now. Um, because my, my child was about to trip and I said, Hey, you know, this time I work here, let's do it. And So it, and it works just as intended. Um, but yeah,
0: it's, it's incredible. It's funny. We help. That's all. That's what we do. We just help, uh, help people not trip. And I, I would imagine Houston is a good market for it. Is it, are there certain, are you outside of the Houston market yet? Are you planning to expand outside or is Houston just so big that you're going to be able to stay there? So Houston is big enough where we can kind of create we should be
1: able to run into any problem we'd run into in any city. So I'm hoping that we can nail in processes, and then once we have those playbooks, we can go to other kind of southeastern United States. That's my my goal because Houston's such a great market just because our soil and subgrade moves so much that it, it's perfect for us. So I think for us, uh, southeastern United States is kind of the long term plan.
0: And why do you say Southeastern United States? What's different from the Northeast? Is it weather, twelve months of the year, or is it the substrate that they put down? You nailed it, right. So up north, you're going to have
1: asphalt a lot of times. And the other thing is that I have to shut down at a certain point in the year, right? I have to winter comes right now, it's a hundred and two degrees here and it'll be 80 in December. I've worn shorts on Christmas. So I can, I can pump foam in the ground year around here. And I want other locations like that where we can work year round.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, Northern, I grew up in Northern Ontario in Canada and yeah, for four or five months of the year, we definitely shut down anything that's on the outside. And then I guess as well, the environment, like the, the shifting that occurs because of weather with frost and, you know, freezing and expansion would just make it even worse, right? It would probably put way more wear and tear on the driveways and people's sidewalks.
1: And I think that's why you see asphalt in driveways up north and you see um, different ways of like where we don't like we wouldn't do that here. Everyone has a everyone has a concrete driveway. And that's just it's a concrete jungle in Houston. So we have plenty. We do commercial as well. But uh, for the most part, we really it's 90 percent residential homeowners and that's a really rewarding experience for us to be able to deal with that home. That's a big investment. And we're dealing with their with their um kind of curb appeal exterior. And really a lot of us are a lot of the reason we are getting called are because like someone did trip or water's holding, or it's a legitimate problem that they want to go ahead and resolve.
0: It's funny. I I remember some people, I don't remember where I was, but somebody from the U S had come to Northern Ontario where I lived and they, I remember them turning to their mom and dad one day and saying like, why are the roads black? Like all of their roads were like, it's because they had concrete roads as well. And like, it just was completely different. Okay. So let's get away from the geeky part of the, of this part. Now in your business, you're, you put yourself out of business one home at a time, right? When, when you do someone's driveway, I don't imagine they're getting it redone every five years. Or is there a natural thing that happens over time with people's driveways? Or is it just one one driveway at a time? You do kind of put yourselves out of business in that market. I guess the good thing with us is that the polyurethane foam,
1: yeah, you're right. Like it's, it's kind of a one and done thing. Um, if they're lucky enough where they go and get it under every part of their driveway, the one thing we can do is refresh their... You know that wood that's in driveways. A lot of times, it kind of makes it look like a um, like six Lego blocks. That wood is is it rots, and we put a silicone sealant, and that over time we're gonna replace. But luckily, um, in our market in Houston and in the surrounding area, it's grow it, it's still growing like actively right now. That as they're building these new homes, those driveways are when when our when we've done every driveway, there's new there's new driveways that are that are breaking up, and unfortunately, right and and now commercial construction moves so quickly that when they're doing these communities those driveways they really don't give them that much attention and they do they move a lot faster than something that was built in like the 80s per se so we are gaining we're gaining customers all the time
0: so even even though you've done 4000 there's 400,000 homes down there like there's just the, the market is just massive right it's not correct yeah What's the average cost for somebody to to have you as a customer?
1: So um, right now we're sitting at about a forty three hundred dollar average dollar sale currently. So and 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 that's that's the highest that it's ever been. But we do offer like you know essentially like a sealant um, on the actual surface, and so that's really like you're going to do it, and you should never see us again.
0: That's that's
1: it. That's the that's the work, so to
0: speak. And is this a, a door-to-door sales? Is it mass media? Is it social? Like, where are you getting your customers?
1: Right. Yeah. So we advertise on local TV. We advertise in all of like the home concepts magazines, which are really good for us. So all those, they kind of, I think they're mailers. And a lot of our customers look through those mailers. They have shower renovation, kind of all the renovation you do on your home. And we're in that magazine. That one does really well for us. And um we're on. We've been on radio. We're on social media. We, um, we utilize SEO. So we're kind of. We spend a lot of money on marketing. That's where most of our stuff comes from.
0: Interesting. Years ago, I was part of building a company called College Pro Painters, and we became the the largest residential uh, house painting company in the world. And one of our primary marketing tactics was just going door to door and knocking on homes and saying, "Hey, I noticed your home might be coming ready for a paint in the next year or so. Would you like a free estimate?" Do you guys do that at all with just sending out 20 year olds going door to door in a neighborhood knocking on doors? Or is that pretty much not happening this day? You know, like this was also 1986, not
1: 2023. Yeah. So, other, there's a big kind of roofing windows company that does that same exact thing. They have appointment centers, is what what they call them. And I would love that. I think that's a space that we want to move into eventually. We just don't have the system in place to, really like manage. Are we getting the result? Does it make sense? What neighborhood would we send these people out to? So I love that. I think that idea still works. And I love that idea. We just haven't done it yet.
0: Yeah, we did what we called the WAVE program. And we hired two or three students, sometimes as many as five. And we'd send them out in one zip code per night in a WAVE. And they would literally cold call every house on every street in that entire zip code. And then they'd move to the next zip code. And maybe it was over the course of a week um, and it was just hiring these teenagers, like fresh faced young kids that didn't come across as the sleazy salesperson. We paid them per appointment that they were able to get booked. And we just knew that if they were giving us shitty appointments, we'd stop using them as a cold caller. But if they were good appointments, we could close, you know, X percent and the numbers just kind of worked out. So yeah, it might be there as an opportunity for you guys for sure. We also would leave like a, instead of a door hanger, which everybody could see, we used post-it notes. And we would put a post-it note saying, sorry, we called, we wanted to chat with you about your driveway and it had the phone number. We just stick the post-it note right on the door and we would get tons of phone calls from that stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a cool idea. We do door hangers now where if you're at an
1: appointment, you would just get the get five around. And so I like the post I think the post-it note's a little
0: different. I like that. At 1-800-GOT-JUNK, we called the door hangers the bingo. We do five on each side of the house and 10 across the street, right? So oh, that's good. Yeah. How long does it take you guys to produce a job? Is it in and out in a day? Is it in and out in a few hours? Is it over the course of a number of days?
1: Yeah, so some of our jobs take, so essentially they take two days, but really it's maybe four or five hours. So it's two hours one day, and then we may have to go back and do something else the next day, just because if we are using a power washer, it can't interact with our sealant. So it has to be on a different day. But all in all, most of our jobs, like it's a one day thing and we may be there four or five hours.
0: Yeah, I love that. Now, your labor is it? Is it skilled labor? Is it casual labor? Is it you know easy enough to train this kind of stuff, or is it pretty high tech? No, we we can pick pick
1: up pretty much anyone. So a lot of our average age of our our average age of our labor right now is probably like twenty two years old. They're very very young group of guys, and all in all, it's
0: fairly easy to train on. So Zachary was smart at starting a business, but didn't have to be smart at doing a driveway. That's correct, and yeah, that's correct, and I don't even know. If, if our production crew would say he's the best at driveways, but he he likes to say. It. All right. So six seven years ago, you built this thing up. What do you think is the crux of the day to day today? What is it that makes the business hard? What is it that makes the business truly scalable? And you know, are, is there any area that you guys are really looking at stepping on the gas? I started at Leveled Concrete
1: in twenty twenty one in July, so I've been here like just over two years. And I started as a sales rep. And I've kind of worked my way into this seat, and I think for for me what what Zachary loves is fast change, let's go, let's grow this thing, let's go to let's go to Austin and the hardest part right now would be this is a good process, let's package this up, and let's never change it and that to me, I think is that's the key to real is that success to me is consistency and predictability. And um, so that would be the, I guess the hardest part right now is Zach, let's settle down and let's do something the same way. Cause I I can guarantee you that long term, that's exactly what we want because we can take that exact little bot that that little business in a box and put it in Austin and put it in Dallas and put it in Louisiana. And we're going to be just fine. It's just that I want, I want these little SOP books and I want these little on, a, on iPads that, hey, I just ran into this problem on a driveway, flip, flip, flip. Cool. This is exactly what I need to do to get out of this situation. And that's my that's my day to day right now is I'm really I was just in a production training before this. And I'm just, hey, this is what happens if the customer says this to you. And I really want to build that um that guide for them out there. And that's that's the hardest part, though.
0: It's kind of how Michael Gerber when he wrote The E-Myth and The E-Myth Revisited talked about putting the systems in place as if you're going to franchise. Is that kind of your approach? You just want to have all the right playbooks? And stuff? absolutely. I love it. so when I read that book it really changed the way I saw
1: this business and that's exactly what it is. It's like I want it to just be You come off the street, you're 18 years old, you want an amazing place to work, and I can give you that. And I can give you a career here. I can grow
0: you here. How do you know when you're actually then ready to scale this thing or when you're ready to go into the other markets? How do you know when your systems are good enough? I think for me, if
1: they were just, if 80% of what we do is documented, we would win. And right now it's about 50 50. Or it's about, hey, they're documented, but where are they again? Or who do I ask for that? And so for me, it's really, Once we get that organization chart up on the wall, once we get, here's where you go for everything. But I think what happened over the course of, so two years ago, we were, I think we did just about 3.8. And now we, last year, we did just under eight. And that, that hurts. As much as that was great, that really hurt because we were half the, you were, and I think a lot of times is that people still try to act like you're half the size. And it's just like you have too many people now. You have too many people doing too many, too many different things. And for me, it's like I just want to create these processes where everyone can easily access them. So I think once I have every department at least kind of in our new iPad system, I
0: think at that point I'd be closer to scaling. That hopefully that answers that. Yeah, you just touched on something that not a lot of people talk about. And it's when all of a sudden growth starts to add too many people. I usually see that mid-level managers that are in their first time being a manager, their answer to every problem tends to be hire more people. And that's really never the the solution, right? It is about optimization and automation and standardization of processes and systems to allow us to scale. So how are you deciding or how do you notice where you've got too many people and how do you, you know, right size that or grow into those people? Yeah.
1: So for me, I um, we use we use EOS. So we do, we essentially go in and we have, and I, and I kind of lead these meetings of like, let's put the staff on the board in each department and let's go through that. And ultimately the last time we did that, it led to me having to cut a couple of people in the office because it just wasn't a full role anymore. Right? Like it was, you're doing a, a quarter of the role and I could really be doing it here. Or we, we got a much more robust CRM that did all that stuff. So we didn't need someone manually doing that. So again, I think you constantly have to be looking at your personnel and putting them on the board and saying like, is this the right person? Do they want to be here? And do they actually have the technical knowledge to do this job? And that's hard. And most companies like run away from that because you've been sitting next to this person for two years.
0: Yeah, I think we also need to look at the ROI of people as well, right? Like what's the return on that investment in terms of the not just the cost of that person, but the cost of managing them, the cost of the IT we have to give them, the payroll taxes, You know, what are we really getting almost a four to one lever off of them? Like if we're paying somebody 70,000 a year, are we generating $280,000 in gross margin or revenue to make sure they pay for themselves? Because often we can just become busy being busy. Do Do you steer away from that busy being busy? Or is it just, do you know that you're going to grow into some of this? Like, are you just at a point, a hurdle where you have to get over? You know, you had to add the people to now go from the eight to 16, maybe.
1: Yeah, I think that right now I'm really trying to work everyone's calendar. So the big thing for me is like, hey, can I see your calendar? Hey, can you walk me through your day to day? And if I know that their bandwidth is still there, that, that's where I'm going to make tweaks. And I know who's capable of what um, being kind of in an open office environment. So that really helps. The other thing, the the amazing thing about COO Alliance, and, and I'm glad to be a member, is that Y'all have already taught me like using different automation, like using AI, using... And I'm and then the same thing, since I'm learning that, I'm like, hey guys, don't spend all this time writing this template. Like here's how to use GPT or here's how to use X so that you can make your job easier. So that way I don't... Ha- right now, I really don't love hiring people. I think for me, we're at a good amount um, of people in support roles. But if I can go hire salespeople and things like that, things that are going to generate revenue, I'm okay with that.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you look at people's, you know, calendars and look at what they're working on. I think it's so rare that leaders actually do examine that because at the end of the day, we only have three inputs. We have people, time, and money. And our job is to get the highest return on those three investments. And if we've got somebody sitting, spending 30 minutes writing an email, but we pay them 80 grand a year, they've now just spent, you know, $30, $40 writing an email. Did we really want them doing that all day long? You know, do we like is that really the highest use of their time and and that money and often the answer is no right so how do you say no or show employees that we're not getting the ROI of certain you know efforts or initiatives because i know it's it's hard to sometimes say no to employees we don't want to deflate them or break their spirit or energy have you found a way to do it in a good way
1: yeah i think for me i just um i ask a lot of questions and i and i think what's my, my back like if if someone asked asking... me Like, you know, what's your background? And I would say it's in sales. I would absolutely say it's in sales. And I think that's such a unique position to most of the time when you're sitting in kind of a second seat, you're, you're, at least in my, in my experience, a lot of people didn't come with a sales background. And I think what it allows me to do is kind of like use that same strategy. If if I'm trying to help someone come to a conclusion, what do you do? You just ask questions. So I'll go into that. Hey, walk me through, uh, walk me through Monday morning. What does that look like? Well, that can't be, like, writing an email for two hours can't be fun. Like, there's got to be a way that we can make that easier. There's got a way we can make that better. And the last thing we want to do is spend, I mean, if we break that down into numbers, like, we probably spent $300 of, of our, you know, working on emails. Like, I don't think either one of us want that. And, I, and I'll kind of bring them to that, right? This has questions. Like, I, I don't I don't know everything. I don't know. And maybe, and maybe it is, by the time we're done with the conversation, maybe they're the person that needs to be writing that message or needs to be doing X thing. And I've now come to that conclusion too, right? But ultimately, I'm going to go in and ask. If I see something I don't like, I go in and ask, "Hey, like, let's walk me through that. What's what's going on, and why do you why do you feel that way? Why do you feel like that's the right that right path?" And um, bring me to it.
0: Hey there, Cameron. Here, are you enjoying the show thus far? We're going to get right back into it in just a second. But let me ask you a quick question: Are you a COO or a second in command? tasked with helping the company hit and exceed its growth goals. Having spent decades of my life dedicated to this role, I know one of the secrets to growth is to surround yourself with like-minded people, also pushing and striving to go where you want to go. It's why, as a listener of this podcast, I want to officially invite you to the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP ops, or whoever is your company's second-in-command to the CEO. We're the world's leading community for the second-in-command, and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. When you're a part of this peer group, you'll get access to unprecedented support, guidance, and resources to grow your company's bottom line, improve your ability to streamline processes, connect with other top seconds in command to assist you and bring out your greatest potential, and so much more. Go to www.cooalliance.com to see if you qualify. It's where you can also see other members and the results of the program as well as our 10x guarantee if you qualify for membership you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if the group can be a right fit for you once again it's www.cooalliance.com now back to the show yeah i love the whole asking questions approach too it's really smart so you you mentioned, you know, developing playbooks for expansion and really focusing on the playbooks and systems. How do you decide which ones to put in place? How do you decide, you know, when you're over systemizing? Because I know employees and and certainly often entrepreneurs want systems, but then they don't want to use them. And sometimes companies can get into the stage, like government is an example, putting systems in place for systems sake, they're just useless, right? So, how do you how do you go that balance? Because I'm, I'm where you are. Systems are critical. How do you have the balance with not having too many and not getting too kind of red tapey with some of the systems?
1: If I have to go read a book on how to use a system, it's probably not a good system, right? Like I think for us, Asana, and I'm sure a lot of people use it well, but Asana was one thing that we tried and it just didn't fit with us or maybe didn't fit my brain or didn't fit our team's brain. And we were spending like, hours and hours and hours upon end trying to input into it and it just wasn't it for it so i'm like okay this isn't our project management system we ended up on monday.com it's kind of similar but for whatever reason it just worked better and i think for me the system should be hey this can help someone you get like this could help someone basic in this role get through the, the day-to-day and there's still a little bit of room for interpretation i'm okay with that but i also just don't want the person to be lost like nomad so the way that I see systems, they should be like a skeleton on how to operate, but it shouldn't be at this point, do X and type this way. It's like, at that point, no one's going to use them. And when you don't use them, then that's that's worse than, why did you make the system?
0: Yeah, I think the best systems can be documented on a posted note. Like if, if you can't document it on a piece of paper this big, you're overthinking it, right? You're overcomplicating it. So walk us through how you got involved in leveled concrete and then some kind of i guess examination self examination of how you were able to scale from starting in sales as a sales rep and into the coo role
1: yeah i think for me i was at a um commercial construction company and i was really lost i um was making x salary and i was you know i had x kind of compensation additional and i just it was one of those work environments transparently where you're kind of like, "I would rather do anything but go into this office today, and we've all i know and that's just that's just it it wasn't my that wasn't my home, and so I ended up running into a job posting for level concrete with a job salary that was like a third of what I was making, but it said unlimited commission and I looked at my wife and said, "I've never been more unhappy than I am now and I met with this guy at Level Concrete, and I believe in what they're doing, and I believe it's home. And I just jumped. And at that point, when I came here, I, I it was burned the boat. So I literally I had to make it work. And I went out as a sales rep, and I was um, posting on Facebook, posting on Nextdoor, just just generating, having so much fun, just selling, meeting with people. And when when you find that like what I would call your why. And my why was really like, my wife just bet essentially our house on this. Like I, I just took, I turned away a guarantee my wife literally bets on like bet everything on me. We had a, we had a, we had one daughter at the time. And so I just had to make it happen. And that became contagious. Like my, then I, I got around other people and within three months, I was sales manager and I kind of passed that along with them. And the way that I, the way that I scaled that sales team was essentially the same thing that I did. Is it was there was no option for me. I had a strong why. Like we weren't we could not maintain like where we were in, in life, our home, my daughter. It was all it was all on me to make sure that I made it work. And and my reps knew that. I told that story to them. I said, here's here's where I was at. I think that's the main reason is of of how we grew. And then now from an operation standpoint. Um, I'm always able to kind of, when I meet with someone for the first time on our team is what's your why and how can I help your why? Like if it's my why is I want to get, I want to own my home for the first time, or I want to own this car that I've never owned, or I want to go to school at night. I'm going to figure out what that is for you. I'm going to figure out how I can be a part of that and help you get there because this company did. Yeah. They bet a lot. I mean, this company put a lot of trust in me very quickly too, but yeah, it
0: was I, for whatever reason, sometimes you just know. Simon, who wrote the book, uh, Simon Sinek wrote the book, Start With Why. He and I have known each other and been friends for almost 20 years now. He was uh, worked for us in marketing, was on our board of advisors, has been to my home for dinner a bunch of times, pretty sure he slept on my couch at least once. Um, that whole concept of knowing your why and your core purpose is so powerful. My, my why is to help entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. And that's the COO alliance. If I grow the COO, I can help entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. You know, the vivid vision helps align people. Like everything I do is consistent with my why, and then it gets easy. I'm glad you're tapping into that for your employees. Yeah, that's right. And I think for me, my
1: why, I guess, you know, what's my why? My why really is to help. Like, I really love that. And you've seen this probably more times than not. Whenever you first meet someone and they're this person, and then, you know, three months or a year later, whatever it is, it's a completely different person. Front of you that you've been and you've been a part of their growth, right? Like where I, I, I mean, I, I've even back in my retail days, I had someone at mattress um, when I was working at a mattress firm. Like he started with me and he was on probation, and now. He's making like, a, uh, I think a quarter million a year selling Mercedes because he's just changed so much, right? And to be, I still talk to him every week. I, I love that stuff.
0: That's the entire reason why I launched my Invest in Your Leaders course was to actually grow people, right? I realized I just dropped a link for you in here, but we'll share it on our notes. But the whole thing is if I can grow people, then they can scale, they can make more money, they can have more fun, they enjoy their jobs day to day, it's less stressful for us in a work environment it 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 just and I love doing it, right, I love having that result where I see people as you mentioned three six months later are completely different, so how have you changed then as a leader and in your growth um you know in the couple of years that you've been there going from from being in sales, and by the way, did you ever get to a commission level above what you were making at that construction job before you moved into the CEO role
1: yeah, a lot more, yeah, absolutely yeah I make I think yeah, I pretty much make double you know then, and it just goes to show, but I, I think for me it's like I've just Creating the anti environment that I came from of like I don't want anyone to ever just have that dread of com- like that that dread of I I don't want to get in this car to go to this office or I don't want to be around this leader or I, I so I every day I try for this I make sure that this place isn't that
0: I can't imagine how horrible that must feel for people to go to an office environment like that too at the end of the day it's just you know quit and go find a great company there's lots of them out there. So, so what have you had to do to grow? How have you had to change and adapt to to become a COO? Because that's a big shift to go from a sales rep to a COO role.
1: Right. I think for me, you have to be okay with being vulnerable and insecure. Like, I don't. I think for whatever reason, as people, maybe even as just a male, you you feel like you have to grow up and know everything and know. Oh, this is what you do when this happens, or if we run into this problem, you know, you should know, or just fake it till you make it. And it's like. I think in this seat more than ever, hey, I actually like, I'm not sure the answer to that, but let's go look at this together. Let's go find. I think you have to be very vulnerable. And the other thing is just people appreciate transparency as much as you can give. There's some things like, of course, at this level, you can't give, but if if it's okay to share, you should share. So I think from a sales rep that it's kind of like parenthood. When you're single, it's all about, it's your show. And I feel like that's kind of, for me, that was sales. But as you kind of evolve and grow and you have children, it's more and more about them and their success. And as I've kind of progressed through this company, it's been a lot like parenthood of like, it ain't ain't about me anymore. It's about making sure that the first, you know, that your first day here is incredible, that you get your welcome packet, that you like working here, and that I'm giving you the best work experience that I possibly can. And I'm creating a stable environment for you to provide for your family. So you have to be a lot less selfish.
0: I know you're a member of the COO Alliance and you're, you're you know, coming to our monthly events. Hopefully you come to our um, September in person. Are you coming to the September Boston event yet at MIT? We, me and my wife are still trying to kind of work that out. That's, that's the one. I, I know scheduling wise, it's hard make it come, figure it out. It's all on sales and marketing. It's going to be massive. It'll be really, really powerful. Plus, for you to be around 60 other COOs at that event at MIT, it's going to be really strong. Highly, highly suggest you figure that one out to come. Um, so the, the the reason I bring that up is that I know that you're focusing on growing from the CO Alliance, but where else are you growing? How else are you growing your skills? Is it books? Is it videos? Is it coaching? Uh, or is it just a lot of introspection from yourself?
1: Yeah, so I'm a big audible
0: and and book reader. So I've read
1: pretty much I think every single one of your books, but I and I, I mean they're all amazing. The reason that I'm here really is because I read I whenever whenever Zach was like, Hey, I want you to step into the COC, I Googled how to be a good COO. And your second in command book popped up and I went through it in the day and I said, Zach, you need to read this. And we read it together. And then that's how that's kind of how I got into COO alliance. But for me, um, last year I did a book a week this year. It's been like a book every like two weeks. I've been a much slower, but I love books. I like the other thing that I guess has kind of stepped in is that. I'm doing a lot more podcasting and things that are, are helping. And I think last year it was such a strong goal to hit my books that it was like almost like knowledge overload.
0: Yeah. I disagree with the book a week. I think you're smarter to go with one every two weeks or even better one a month. And then I'll even give you another fast forward, reread a couple of the books a second time a year later, because the real power will come. Like if you read the e-myth and you loved it two years ago, reading it now when you're in this seat will pay massive dividends more than when you'd read it two years ago. Rereading good to great every year or two can be just super powerful. Um, And I agree, there's a lot of information overload. I'll give you one great book that is one of my favorites of the last 10 years that I think you'll really like. And it ties in with your playbooks and focus around growth. Um, it's called Insanely Simple. And it's all around the systems of simplicity that Steve Jobs used across the Apple organization. And it was simplicity with marketing, simplicity on meetings, simplicity on systems. It, I think, is a one of the best reads on um, and easily implementable ideas that you can pull from from an inspirational, but huge company, but you can pull all those systems into a small company on any day. Yeah, I love that. We'll do. Yeah, take a look for sure. All right. So what are you focusing on in terms of growing yourself now? Where do you focus? Right now, I think the biggest thing that I've I've struggled with this
1: year is I feel like um, I'm trying, like I just downloaded like a mindfulness app because I never feel like I am where I am. And I hope I'm making sense. What I'm saying is I never necessarily feel present as a person. I always feel like I'm catching up as I walk into another room or I walk out of my house or I feel like oftentimes, unfortunately for my family, is I'm still at the... My brain's still at the office, yet my daughter's in front of me. So that's something that I'm really trying to figure out. And I think my phone is going to have to go in our safe when I get home um, because I just don't want to miss... I don't want. I'm very. I'm very scared that just because I am making the time to get home at a reasonable hour, that I'm still not in front of my daughters. If that makes sense, so that's something I'm really trying to work on.
0: No, it absolutely does. I mean, I I remember my four-year-old. He's now 22. At one point, reaching up and pushing my phone out of the way, and I was like, "Whoa, fuck, that was big." Well, I'll give you a couple. I'm glad. By the way, the fact that you're even knowing that this is something to work on means that you'll actually get it done pretty quickly. It'll become habit very easily for you number one is you're never going to catch up. So we as leaders need to stop saying, I'm working tonight to catch up, or I'm going to work on the weekend to catch up. We'll never catch up. You're never going to get it done. You're never going to get your to-do because we keep adding to the to-do list. We keep growing the company or adding projects or starting a new state. So the reality is delegate more, do less, work on your mindset, work on, on de-stressing, work on being present. Delegate everything except genius, and yeah, only work from nine o'clock until four o'clock and and really getting exercise. I think for me, exercise at the end of the day, often even before I come home is a really good way to then decompress because if I stop work at four and I can get a good hour of exercise in and then I can show up at home, it allows me to actually have decompressed in the gym and so I can show up as my best self. And then it's the healthy mind and the healthy body, too, right? Yeah. I'd like that.
1: I've been, so I normally get up around four 30 and I go to the gym in the morning and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about now that you said that, I think that might be the gap that I need to just switch, switch gears get the gym in kind of late.
0: Yeah. I would do the morning as you know, even from home, work from home for an hour or two and then spend time with your daughter when she wakes up and play and have breakfast and disconnect and then go to the office work until three or four and then get a workout in and then show up completely decompressed, right? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's a good, yeah. And I I think
1: sometimes I'm so, like I never get to see him in the morning and then that first time I'm seeing him for the day is at like 5.30, right? So I, I like that. Yeah, It works.
0: It works really well. I used to even take a drive home from the office at 1-800-GOT-JUNK and I wouldn't take the shortcut home. I would drive through this beautiful neighborhood that forced me to slow down and look at the beautiful homes just as another way to kind of decompress. And then I am guilty as charged with having my phone around too much that just don't bring it to the table and you'll get there. I'm glad you're working on it. I want to ask you about the open office environment and um, and what you're doing in terms of the hybrid work world. Are you hiring all employees to come to an office still? And is that going to be part of the future? Because I think there's a trend back towards it again. So we, we've we always been an in-office organization. We tried
1: like some work from home here and there for some of our employees that could. But naturally, our sales... So our sales team comes in for a Monday meeting and they're essentially... Hybrid because they go straight from their home to our customers. Our production team, they have to come to the office to get in our trucks to go do the job. So they couldn't. And then our office staff, naturally, since production comes, we just felt like, hey, you need to be here. For a minute there, they were working from home, but we weren't set up to really track productivity in an effective manner where we didn't, we couldn't tell if things were being done or not at home. So if we were to ever allow remote again, we would need software that kind of like monitored a bit. But right now, we are fully in office and we don't really have any plans of going into a remote thing. We just, we like it for culture. Like we always have, like, I just cooked for the team last Friday. I cooked up, like, I did a whole fajita thing on a Friday. We might get on a whim on a Wednesday. We're like, hey, we want to cook this or let's bring in pizza or whatever it is. And we like, we like to be around each other.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think it actually is a trend that we're starting to see companies move back towards as well. It feels like we aren't able to... Enti- like it, I don't know what the percent is. 15% of people are set up well to be able to work from home and 85% just aren't. You're not going to get the productivity or the focus. And we definitely lose the connection with others that I think there's going to be more and more of a trend towards certainly some style of hybrid. Like Maybe you can work from home a couple of days a week or you can work offsite, but I think we're going to find that there is more of a trend towards this again. All right, let's go back to the 21 22 year old Eric Ortiz and give him some advice. What advice would you give the 21 year old that you know to be true today but you wish you'd known back then? Oof. Uh
1: what would I tell you young Eric? I guess I would say believe in yourself and the world's not out to get you. Like it's just it's just not like you don't have to You don't have to like hide who you really are. I think I always was scared to like help people and be nice and be kind because I felt like once you're nice to someone, they're just gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna get you or they're gonna like one up you or, or, or or pull one on you. And I was just young and just a really insecure sales rep then. And I think if, if you're kind and someone does something wrong to you, like at least you're doing the right thing. And I rather live my life like that. You know, but I just couldn't, I couldn't back then.
0: I'll tell you, I think you've nailed something as well as the karma, right? When you're just showing up as a good human, way more good stuff starts to happen to you than anything that's negative, right? And I think 99.9% of humans out there are great people. So let's focus on, on being good with them. Eric Ortiz, the COO for Leveled Concrete. Thanks so much for sharing with us on the Second Command podcast. I really appreciate the time and the ideas today. Thanks for having me. It was fun. That was great.